Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. This episode is with Dawn Robertson. She's the founder of Timeless Beauty Bar. And if you missed last week's episode, please check it out. It features Elise Sayeta, the Macy's fashion director for beauty. Hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be sitting in our new space with our guest, Dawn Robertson. She's the co-founder of Timeless Beauty Bar and an all-around fascinating woman. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you, and thanks for having me. I'm so excited to see you. It's been a while since I've got the chance to see you, and I love spending time with you. Thank you. It has been. It's fun with you. Um, we were introduced by a friend in the industry, and I should say Timeless Beauty Bar is now one of our clients, and we're happy to be working with you. Um, but I can say, honestly, that every time I get to talk with you, I'm just like completely enthralled and fascinated, and um, I know our listeners will just like want to take your class at FIT the way that I want to. Um, so I want to start with this. Um, heading to your LinkedIn, um, I made a list in reverse chronological order of um, what you've been up to. So FIT professor. CEO of Steinmart, CEO of Deb Shops, president of Nygaard, is that the right pronunciation? Yes. Um, CEO of Avenue, president of Sean John, president of Old Navy, general manager of Meyer Stores in Australia, and various roles at Federated Department Stores. And then I stopped because I thought the list was big enough. <laughs> so um, these are all like all huge roles in retail and fashion. Um, so my big question for you today is, why are we talking about beauty? <laughs> well, I'd never focused on beauty before. And as a running a major department store in Australia, or Old Navy, or growing up in Macy's and May Company, yes, cosmetics and beauty were part of my total as a CEO. However, I'd never really focused on it. And once we started this business, it is so interesting and so much more detail and about the customer. And today it's so about what the customer is thinking and how they are. And, you know, I think about the new interesting brands that are happening in beauty. Uh, so exciting. I grew up in the apparel business and was a, you know, denim buyer and a junior buyer. And, you know, I was at Macy's and it's so interesting to be in beauty now, which is so focused on what the consumer wants today. Something so, we could probably learn in apparel. Yeah. So is that just not the way it is? Is a gene buyer not really thinking about the consumer? It was. It was, but it's really changed. You know, when I started at Macy's a long time ago, it was, you know, the big department store. So everybody came there anyway, right? right. What's evolved, obviously, over time, because when back when we started Macy's.com a while ago, um, denim was one of the first things we did. And it was fantastic because we really focused on what the consumer wanted. Right. Because before we were a big department store and we bought all assortment and you bought it. <laughs> now we listen to what the customer wants mm -hmm. and tailor that buy to more what her needs are. So yes, apparel's about it as well, but beauty I think is focusing on it even more than apparel. And um, tell us about how Timeless Beauty Bar got started. So uh, the other co-founders and I uh, were uh, just talking about beauty and one of them had always been very, very interested in beauty. So one of the co-founders, his best friend, uh, started doing beauty for a couple of big uh, drugstores and said, wow, you know, you two should do this. So, P.S., we did. And we did it because uh, we all travel a lot and it's very easy. You can take it with you anywhere. And we were talking about, wow, when I take all my cosmetics, I take these big bags of cosmetics. We said, wow, we don't really need to do all that. So that's kind of how it started. 
couple of friends talking about how to make it easy. All right, so let's go back to your last role. Uh, was your last role at Retail Steinmart? Most recently, I ran a company called Scout and Molly's, which was a franchise women's fashion boutiques oh, okay. out of Philadelphia. So it was very interesting franchising. I love to do different things, as you can tell by my resume. I love new things that I don't know anything about, and I didn't know anything about franchising. So I was the franchisor for uh, quite a few franchisees across the U.S. Okay, so um, that's still retail, though. Still right? retail. Why pivot out of retail? Why, why walk away from this resume? Well, I had done uh, wholesale before when I ran Sean Diddy Combs business, which was you know, an interesting part of my life. And then I did wholesale when I ran Nygaard's business, which is actually a big Canadian retailer, over 200 stores in Canada, but sells wholesale here in the U.S. and internationally. And then actually Old Navy is a vertical retailer. So Old Navy is certainly a retailer, no question, but it's vertical. So I learned a lot about uh, creating product and focusing on customer. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for a while, I worked at Macy's Merchandising, and we created all those private brands. So really very much about focusing mm -hmm. on customers. So we loved it and said, this could be something very, very interesting, refocusing on customer, but in a new venue, right. which is in beauty. Right. So, um, you know, when we first sat down to talk, it was um, myself and Julie, our social media director, and we just sat at the table with our, like, hands on our chin, just, like, <laughs> listening to every word you said. Um, you're talking about this role you have at FIT, this class that you teach. Tell us about that. Um, I started doing it about three years ago uh, for fun, and it is so much fun. So I teach the capstone class, which is the last class before they graduate, and it is supposed to be the culmination of everything they've learned at FIT. So it's so interesting because it's taking what I've learned in retail and wholesale all these years, we won't say how many, and giving that back a bit to these students. So. Um, we have a business come in or a company come in. So the first 10 weeks or the first eight weeks, I really teach them how to analyze a company, looking at balance sheets and ratios and strategies and what kind of things you do that I've learned over the years to analyze a business. Um, and then the last half of the class, we have a company, actual company come in and present their business. And the students have to put together in groups, they have to tackle one business problem or opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, and it is so interesting. So we help guide, so they take some of the strategies we've taught them and take one of the companies and help, help them um, grow their business or fix a problem, so it could be they need to drive their top line sales, they need a new channel of distribution, they need to change their marketing. They need to cut cost. Mm -hmm. Whatever you know, the, that team picks, and then each class has a winner. All the classes compete, and then there's uh, usually a top two or three that go to the company, and the company picks. So it's competitive, which is what retail is. It's exciting and interesting, and the students, you know, look at me like, oh my God, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, you know, but now it's really been fun, and many of those students. Um, I still get in touch with today. Uh, last semester, I got four of them jobs. Oh, that's so cool. So really fun. They're usually very interested. It's their last semester. You know, so they are ready to get out, but this is it. So it's more interesting, more fun, very interactive, very team. It's probably way more fun than the actual job they're going to get. Probably. <laughs> probably. But they, but they love it. And they work as a team, and we give them lots of feedback along the way. And then the company gives them feedback. Right. So, so pretty interesting. Are the companies really open to hearing their ideas? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, they really are. I mean, this last one was pretty innovative. This team put together that they thought this company should operate in airports. 
So they negotiated with Delta, the Sky Club, to let them have a pop-up shop in there and a pop-up in the Centurion Club while negotiating for leases in the airport. So all about a new channel of business for this company. So the student team actually did these negotiations? Yeah, had the calls, did the whole thing, and then designed what a pop-up shop would look like. Obviously, they didn't sign a contract or anything, but they understood how to do it and they learned about it. It was so interesting for them to really understand because their point of view was that they needed additional channels of distribution instead of just e, uh, direct-to-consumer or opening stores. Mm-hmm. So this was another channel to grow top line. So do any of the students ever ask you um, what it's going to be like for them when they actually get a job? All of them. <laughs> Almost 100%. So tell me what it's like. How did you get your start? What still drives you? You know, how did you do it? How were you successful? What was it like being a CEO? You know, do you have children? What do they think? You know, it's very interesting. Right. So, um, you know, I'm trying to think back to my first job out of college, and I think I had a lot of kind of entrepreneurial experiences in college, and I really just assumed that people would care what I had to say when I got a job, (laughs) and I learned that it's just not true. Um, Do you think that? those students are going to face sort of a similar situation. Like they have this incredible entrepreneurial experience in your program and then they're going to go get a job and no one's going to ask them to go above and beyond. And I would tell you that I think the students today, because I've seen it now for three years, um, are so smart, so entrepreneurial and think so out of the box, much more than I did when I first got out of mm-hmm. school. I started the Macy's training program the day I graduated. So Really? Yeah. yeah. Graduated on a Saturday and started the training program on Monday. So... I've been doing this my entire life. But we were very structured then, and the business was much more structured. And I would tell you that I think we as employers are beginning to understand what these young students offer, and I hope that they will have a better experience and somebody will listen to them. But I also encourage them to ask questions, to get mentors, to run things by people, um, and learn. But I can tell you that in the three years, the first year, some of those students have already changed jobs. Mm -hmm. Because what they thought they wanted when they got out of the real world, it wasn't really what they wanted. So they learned. Right. Well, I mean, I've been changing jobs since I invented my own. (laughs) (laughs) I got a question yesterday from one of my students of two years ago who's now decided he's going to get his master's and wants me to give him a reference. So... Yeah. That's awesome. So, okay, I, um, you know, it sounded like your students are curious about the same things I am. Um, you know, you have all these, I, my, my guess is that some of them were intense jobs, right, that required a lot of you. Um, and I know you have children who are now grown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of. They're kind of grown. <laughs> they're like middle grown. Um, did they ever push back on you at all about the time you spent at work? Oh, lots and lots and lots. My oldest daughter, who is a lawyer here in New York City, says that she grew up beneath my conference room table. (laughs) And she tells the story a little differently than I do. But I will admit that on Saturdays, as one of the first women senior VPs in the May Company, I had to bring her because we did ballet first, and then we worked all day. So I gave her things to do under the table, and we'd have meetings. Nobody knew she was there. It's a true story. That's so funny. Um, How old was she? Uh, well, probably seven, uh-huh. six, seven. Mm-hmm. So she started ballet about six, seven, right? So, um, and what I tried to do and what I learned to do is that I was very involved in their schools, but I would like run projects because I didn't have time to bake cookies and take breakfast, right. but I could run the rowing club. Mm-hmm. I could run the school benefit, mm-hmm. you know, because then I could do it in my time. Right. And I ran the school benefit from my younger daughter's school three years. I could do that. I ran the rowing club in Australia. And I could do that because I could make time 
during my time. Mm -hmm. So it's a different kind of being involved, but I was still involved in the school knew me, and as a result, they didn't feel completely put out. And I must admit, I always had au pairs. So I had lots of different girls from different countries all the time. Right. So um, is it only your daughter who has that commentary about... Um, I would say that my little daughter has that as well, to Mm -hmm. some degree. Um, But she grew up with an au pair. Right. So she didn't know there was anything different. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and when I traveled, they traveled. So when I lived in Australia and ran the department store there, we had to go to Paris a lot. So I took them with me. Mm-hmm. And I had a driver, and they went from place to place. So I'd go to a show, and they would go to a shop somewhere. And then they'd get back to the car, and I'd meet them at the next one. So I made them part of it. Yeah. And it was a real difference because they didn't feel they were left out. They knew where I worked, and they knew what was going on. And uh, nothing's ever perfect. That's the biggest thing I learned. Nothing, nothing's ever perfect. You know, I learned a long time ago that you can be a great CEO, a great mother, and a great wife slash partner, but you can't be all three of those in the same day. That's right. And I'm sure you've learned that. Yeah. So uh, some days, I, you know, if I had a very important meeting, I went there first. And, right. uh, but there are times that you have to focus. I, um, if there was a little amount of time, well, maybe more than I care to admit, where um, I had my son who was young and I was literally trying to do it all, all at the same time. Yeah. And it's maddening. I had to learn it. I think I needed to prove it to myself, like try, but um, it was awful. Like mm-hmm. I, I wasn't happy about any of the things yeah. and I was stressed out and um, angry at like, you know, mommy and me gymnastics just because I was so overwhelmed, right? I, I really yeah. wanted to be there and I wanted to be focused, but I wasn't letting myself be focused. Um, it, that took me a long time to learn. Well, it took me a while. My first daughter, I only took three weeks maternity leave. And I went back because I had a big meeting with the CEO of the May Company. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went home and I, I was up all night and I went in the next day and I resigned. I said, you know, look, I can't do this. So then I went back home. I was up all night that night. I went back the next day. I said, just kidding. <laughs> So it took me one day to realize that I could do it because I wouldn't get to stay home. It wasn't me. You know, it wasn't who I was going to be. So they filled my job. I said, well, you're going to have to call them back. They filled your job in one, one day. day. I said, well, you're going to have to call them back because I'm not leaving. And they did. And they called them back and said, so sorry. She changed her mind. So, yeah, funny story. First maternity leave, three weeks, not enough. Not enough right. time. Right. You weren't ready. Not yeah. time to sleep. You need not to sleep. Not enough time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was very, so one day, yes, I resigned for one day uh, to be a mother at home, and that lasted one day. Right. So what was in your mind that, and that, and I, I probably can guess what was in your mind when you're like, I can't do this job, but what was in your mind when you went back and said, no, I am going to do it? Like, what was the shift? I realized it would make me who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a mother is a huge and very important job and a really part of who I am because, you know, I have three. And so it was a real part of my life. However, I realized that that first child, that I also really loved what I was doing. I loved being in the fashion business. I loved being in retail. It was what I was good at, and it made part of me. And I didn't have to give that up to do the other very important job. That's right. So um, I would like to share with you like the sort of like epiphany moment that I just had because um, I think it's super relevant what you're talking about. So um, for many years, like over a decade, I've had in my head that I don't want to be X person, which was I didn't want to like go off, have my kids and then be the office that seven to nine, seven to nine, seven to nine. Like in my head, it was like, that is not me. That is not who I'm going to become. And I sort of created this like fictitious narrative around that person that I'm I didn't really know that person. I just like kind of created this sort of like Hollywood version. Mm-hmm. And it's now 11 years of running my business. And just two weeks ago, I had this moment where I'm like, oh, I can love my work and my kids fully at the same time. I can't do both jobs equally at the same time, but I can love them both. That's right. And I was really holding myself back in... Um, 
like my ability to have joy in my everyday because I was had this idea in my head that if I step over the line and I turn into passion, 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 utter love with my work, that I'm going to become her, this fictitious person. And I released that torture for myself and didn't even realize that I was doing it until I stopped doing it. And now I have more energy. How did you find out about it? How did you decide to release it? Um, I've been working with a coach and I'm, you know, it's 11 years of therapy and I just think the onion is peeling, right? I'm at another layer and I keep saying I want to be more joyful, more joyful. And I didn't even realize that I was the one who was blocking it, right? It's, it's not so-and-so client who's not giving us the work. It has nothing to do with them. It's me. It's all about me. Very interesting. Yeah. So, um, I think I just was ready to look inward and, um, I guess everything happens for a reason at the right time. Well, I'd agree with that. And I'd tell you the other thing that happens as you transition, because, you know, early in my career, I was so driven. I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted to be a CEO president. So then I did that. So for 21 years, Why? I've been a CEO or president. Um, I really felt I could. I had a mentor. I'm a little girl from Birmingham, Alabama, who didn't know anything about anything, right? And I had branded this mentor in, when I was first in my job in Atlanta. And he said, you know, you can really run a company. And I was like, what? You got to be kidding me. That can't happen. So then I began to think about it. Gosh, maybe I could. So I did it. So it's just because of that one conversation with that mentor? Well, it opened my eyes that perhaps I could. Mm -hmm. I'd never thought that I could. I'd never thought I couldn't. Mm -hmm. It had just never been on the horizon. No one's ever said, you really have the capabilities to do this. I mean, they'd never said I didn't, but I'd never had anyone tell me that. And then I had another mentor, as I moved up the ladder as a VP, say, you can go now be a senior VP. And then once I was a senior VP, I thought, hmm, I could do what they're doing, and that's the CEO or president mm-hmm. role. So then I did, and I learned from it, and then I came to a bigger company as an EVP and then went back to be a CEO or president for the last 21 years. Um, but as you transition out of that, and retail has transitioned so much, I mean, so much is changing so fast, the last six months I've taken to kind of think about how do I transition again? Because life is about transition. Mm -hmm. You just went through a big one, I Mm -hmm. think, a very major one of your own making Mm -hmm. to say. So the last six months, I've done the same thing. I've investigated all different types of roles for myself other than the very traditional CEO of a retailer or a wholesaler role. And in fact, I've turned some of those down because I realized that I've done that. And I could go do it again, but it doesn't it isn't helping me grow and helping me be who I want to be next. Right. So is there like a part of you when someone says like, oh, here, here, be your CEO, here's your salary, this is where you're going to be working. Is there a part of you that like automatically feels like a magnet to it? Absolutely. Because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. And that's security. Remember, right. that's real security. Right. That gives you the status that you've always known. Mm-hmm. It gives you security you've always known, you know, and you're there, right? So great. Check that box. Don't have to worry about it. But the world's changed so fast that now it's so much about learning new things, like opening this timeless beauty bar, which was just happened for fun and is now really beginning to work. And we're like, wow, that's really starting to work. But something I would never have done before. So it's, again, about transitioning and growing and learning and letting yourself, like you let yourself be joyful. Right. I took the six months to let myself explore what else was out there. And it's been really interesting. So did it surprise you when, let's say, the last opportunity came your way that you were really ready to say no to it? Well, I had to think about it a bit. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what, even though I knew that, ooh, gosh, wow, that would you know put me right back in that game. But it's not what I want to do. And uh, it surprised me that I was able to say no. That was a bigger surprise 
than anything else because I was able to say no and not feel bad about it the next day mm-hmm. and say, okay, that was still the right decision for me. That doesn't mean that something might not come up that I would love to go do and grow and be part of and be part of a team because I love the whole team piece. Mm-hmm. But the ones that have come forward, which were very much like the ones I've done, were not quite right. So you, um, you're essentially on this retail train for many, many years, and you stepped off the train, and the train continues without you. Is that a weird feeling to know that the train moves without you in it? It's a weird feeling, and it's also a, a weird feeling to, well, I guess it's a challenge to make sure that you still know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had breakfast this morning with a CEO of a big luxury um, wholesale slash retailer. And she told me some news I didn't know about the industry. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm missing it. But I realized I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, things are changing fast and you'd never keep up with everything. And by continuing to network and be involved with the people that you're involved with. And we've started a lot of consulting. So as a result, I've really been deep diving into what's really happening. And we're doing a little bit of consulting work for quite a few uh, people. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kept me involved. And so I've been able to use all the info that I've had before and the experience to now help other people from a consulting point of view. So um, you just spoke of this idea, this feeling of missing out, which we call FOMO, right? <laughs> um, you know, I feel it I feel it in this sense of like overwhelming amounts of news about the industry. So like, right, I'm reading about beauty every day, just like the CEO, whatever brand is reading about beauty every day. And sometimes I honestly feel like I'm getting choked by it, right? Because everything is changing so quickly and um, brands are just scurrying because they just don't know which way is up, right? So there's so much news or newsy things, wins here, wins there, this is working, that's working. And it really kind of gets super overwhelming. is that, did that ever happen to you in fashion or in retail? Oh, many times, many times. Because remember, for the last 10 years, I've done turnarounds. Mm-hmm. So I've done restructuring and turnarounds. And when you go to do those, there's so much to fix while looking at all what all the competition's doing, you can get overwhelmed. Right. So the, uh, what we've always tried to do is say, here's the top four to five things we're going to do. We're going to fix those mm-hmm. while continuing to watch and see what else is going on, right. but focus on those. Uh, And then we're going to go to the next thing and focus on those. And we're going to the next thing and focus on those. And I learned that when I was at Meijer in Australia. And it was a big traditional department store that had slowed. Mm -hmm. Not any unusual news. Mm -hmm. And we really went out and added private brands. We put together a great team. A lot of things you would understand. We cut costs. Mm -hmm. Uh, We reinvented the experience in store. Added new brands plus private brands. And it really began to turn. But it was about being very focused on this, this, and trying not to get distracted while listening, but not getting distracted. So um, from that, then all these different turnarounds, we've tried to really keep the, keep the focus on the top five things while testing, testing, testing. And you know, if we look at what's happening today, a lot of the stores that are doing well are keeping that same mindset. Mm-hmm. I was in a specialty store in Soho and met with a designer uh, two weeks ago. And hers was the same story. Um, look, we're focusing on technology, but technology that'll help the consumer, not technology just because it's technology. Right. But what's focusing on that customer? And that's how we make our decisions. Mm-hmm. That's their only focus. So it was interesting. Right. The people who are trying to keep focused, I think, are 
seeing some gains. Yeah, I mean, I guess like um, from an agency point of view, we'd certainly come across um, either the marketing directors or CEOs or whatever senior role, and they, you know, they do read that thing, and then all of a sudden we change gears. That's right. right? Shifts, you know, can't throw it all away, start all over again, right? Which is maddening, right? Yeah. And um, I, don't, I don't, I don't think that's what the customer wants. She just yeah. wants to, you to be you, and she wants to feel connected to you, whatever that brand is. Yeah. Um, she wants to feel like it's an authentic activation from that brand, but um, you know it really is maddening when people just feel like they need to be re- redoing it again and again and again and again. And there do have to be you know updates and updates and updates. And when I you know was with ran Sean Diddy Combs business, we took it. It was really from a real pure pure street business, always still street, but more into the young men's world. Mm-hmm. And we really tried to stay focused on who who his customer was. We did a lot of work on who his customer was and who we wanted to be and who we wanted to add. And then from there, tried to make the decisions to do that. Right. And and uh, his brand's his brand's still around today. It's pretty um, amazing. Yeah, it's gone really well. So, um, so that you know, all focusing once again, like you said, about what is the customer? Who is your customer? And what is that? That doesn't mean not to test, not to do new things, not to try new things, but being careful that you don't lose sight of the the core business that you have. So you talked about doing a lot of turnovers, mm-hmm. turnarounds. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like the best and the worst of that side of the business? Um, the best is that you, I always start with best, I'm mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> uh, the best is that you can really affect change. It's so exciting and so rewarding when it happens. Um, you know, at Meyer in Australia, when that business took off, it was so exciting for the team. And most of that team have gone on to run other businesses and have been very successful. One is the COO for Kmart in Australia, one's at Target Australia, et cetera. Some have run big companies in Australia, so it's really fun. So they've seen that happen, so it's fun to build the strategy, execute the strategy, keep tweaking the strategy, of course, and then see results. So that's the best part because you can really see a change. The worst part is trying to stay focused, keep the culture going, and specifically if you're a public company. As a public CEO, it is really challenging because you were so, so under the microscope at every turn mm-hmm. that as you make changes that you don't get time. And that's probably the hardest part is getting enough time to turn a business because it doesn't happen in two to three months. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part about turnarounds. What's the time limit and how long do you have? And the other thing I've learned is that some companies you take over, um, it's too late. Oh, interesting. It's just too late. You don't have enough time left. Mm-hmm. So time is your enemy in a restructuring. Because you, you, how much time do you have left to turn it? Because there's only a certain amount of money. Correct. So yeah, a certain amount of money and a certain amount of patience mm-hmm. by either your owners or your public um, public shareholders. Mm-hmm. So they dictate how much time you have. And that's the hard part of a restructuring. If you have the time and you have the strategy and it's a good strategy, you can make it turn. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if you have a very constrained time, sometimes it's just too hard. So that becomes a real negative. So let's shift gears and talk about um, the CEO who goes dating now, right? You divorced <laughs> from your, the, your husband, father of your children, and now you are in a new world. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly an interesting uh, certainly an interesting role because you have to downplay what you've done professionally. <laughs> Wait, why is that? <laughs> because often people are challenged by that. Right, the CEO goes dating and they yeah, don't, and they oh gosh, you know. So you try not to tell them you've been a CEO for a long time. You're just in retail or wholesale, and then eventually, of course, it comes out because the world is so social. Everybody knows what you do. Nothing is hidden anymore. Right? So don't think you're hidden because you're not. All you do is Google and you're done. You know, and they know. What you did, but you just can't. 
Uh, it just has, you have to be more interesting than being a CEO. Mm -hmm. It's about being interesting, not being a CEO. Well, isn't that life though, right? That is life. It's not about what you've done is about who you are. And I found that through dating mm -hmm. <laughs> that it's, you know, I kind of rediscovered who I was in addition to, you know, running companies. And uh, so it's been good. It's been very interesting. Right. But I mean, I find that such a fascinating comment because, you know, for 20 something years, you've been running businesses, running businesses, running businesses because it felt like part of you. Yeah. Right. And it still is, but I now find that's not the first thing I say. It's not all of you. It's not all of me. And it's taken this to uncover that, that there's other things about me that are just as interesting um, as that. That's right. So, but I mean, I find you deeply interesting. I can you <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but you don't know that until you start having to think, okay, hmm, who am I other than a CEO and a mother? Right, right, right. Because with um, like being a CEO, it means like you're going to be at that event talking to those people, and you're going to do that several times a year, and you're going to be in another country then at that event and talking to those people. Right. Right? Everybody wants to speak that language who you're yeah. around in that work. Yeah. But when you leave that world, what do you have to talk about? What do you talk about? And what, what interests you? So it's been fantastic to uncover new interests that I love doing. Um, you know, I started rowing again, which is something I've always loved, but I didn't have time, so I never did it. And I thought, oh, what should I do? Okay, well, that'd be a lot of fun. Why are you so at ease with like life beyond the CEO role? I can tell you I always am. I think that's a balance that you go back and forth on every day, every mm -hmm. week, every month. Um, but I've realized that I am somebody other than that. And that's how I can make that balance. You know, there are days you think, oh gosh, I should have taken that job. <laughs> but once you balance it and you think about it, there's so many other things going on in the world that you can A, have input in, mm -hmm. B, change, C, uh, grow, um, of course still in our business, but also outside of our business, which is super fun. Right. So in so many ways, like being a career, whatever, it limits you, right? It limits the time that you have yeah. to put towards other things. And obviously we all have to pay our bills, right? Yeah. And have a job. But um, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this pivot and this like whole new world and finding yourself. And, um, you know, I think part of that is theater, right? You're oh yeah. And I love theater. So what I discovered is that I was going to take one thing, still run businesses and do what I, but I was going to take one thing that I loved and really focus my efforts on it. And I love theater. So I joined a not-for-profit theater board here in New York, and we're building into a great theater company. So that's something that I absolutely love. I had so much fun with. I don't make any money, <laughs> but I get a lot of reward out of it. Great creative director, creative director, and the co-creative director, you know, teach here at Stellar Adler and at NYU, and it's just fantastic. It's in New York, and it's just um, one of the things that um, has I've made time for. And even when I was running the last two companies, I went on this board, you know, mm -hmm. kind of as thinking through it. Mm -hmm. And I've also started doing other other board work, private equity board work, and uh, public. And it's been really interesting to see, can you do board work if you've been running companies? Because you're kind of a doer as a, you know, a CEO and a president on a board. You're a strategist. Right. But you can. You can. Is it like you have to sit on your hands? Um, you just have to remind yourself that your job is to strategically help lead, not to do. Right. And you can suggest but you cannot do. Right. And, and if your suggestions are not listened to, is that you have to be very quiet. Right. And that's hard when you're someone like me. <laughs> but it's about building relationship as well. The probably the biggest thing that I've learned in the last couple of years, which I wish I knew earlier, is about building the relationship so that that trust is there. Mm -hmm. So no one feels as challenged, you know, if you have a question. 
and that you do it in the right way. Right. I wish someone had told me that a lot earlier. So we need to make sure everybody understands it's really very much about building that trust. Um, I'm glad you said that because I have a tendency to like bark, bark, bark. You know, yeah. like, yeah. oh, there's a problem. Let me bark, bark, bark at it and tell you what to do and blah, blah, blah. And I even did this morning I was meeting with a friend and she has this idea for a company and I like challenged her. I'm like, is, is that my job right now to challenge her and make sure that it gets to $30 million in two years? No, she's just talking to me. But, you know, this is in me. Yeah. But, you know, it's our a little type a, a personality. Yes, but and, there's a time uh, and a place, right? Yeah. And it's about influencing, I've learned. It's about using those influencing skills and building that trust with, and if you're a board director with the CEO, if you're you know, uh, consulting, you know, listening, and then strategic, being strategic uh, in addition to, because as a CEO, you get the advice and then you go do. Right. Um, so, but it's using those that skill set that you've learned over all that time, um, which I think has been fantastic to learn. I, but once again, I wish, you know, it, from a mentoring point of view, someone had said to me earlier, I'm not sure that's your biggest focus right now. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> Take a breath. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. It was so incredible to have you on the show. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoy this interview with Dawn. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.